Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to the episode 223 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you guys haven't had a chance to download my free book on how to increase your sexual desire, this is specifically for vulva owners. Check out our show notes to get the link on how to download the book. Did I mention free? It's purely my gift to you because I think everyone deserves to have satisfying sex life. And I think sexual desires are a big part of helping us to design the relationship and sexual connections that we want. Today, we have an erotic fiction novel author teaching us how to strengthen our sexual fantasies. My guest is A.B. Kelleher. We're going to talk about some of the recommendations that he has for us on different ways that we can feed our imaginations. In his book, Little Green Peels, he has very interesting sex scenes and they're very diverse and different. So I was kind of curious how he chose those scenes. He tell us how he got the idea of writing this book. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Make sure you're listening till the end of this episode. We're doing a book giveaway in order to learn how you can enter for the giveaway. We need to listen till the end of the interview. As I mentioned, our guest is A.B. Kelleher. He has worked for over 15 years covering science, technology, and national security and served in both the Department of Defense and other national security agencies for more than a decade. His work has been appeared in Forbes, Newsweek, Foreign Policy, New York Times, and many other national outlet. His novel is Little Green Peels. Before we dive into the interview, I want to thank our sponsor, omgyes.com. OMGS is a website devoted to sexual pleasure for people with vulvas and their partners. In partnership with Indiana University and Kinsey Institute researchers, OMGS has interviewed and surveyed thousands of people with vulvas about what's made their pleasure better, physical techniques, physiological techniques, and way of guiding partners so they can experience more pressure. The findings are peer-reviewed and published, and all the research and data is brought to life in fun, honest videos of regular women sharing from their own experiences about what works for them. You guys all know I love variety and I have a checklist that I talk about how you can incorporate variety when it comes to foreplays as far as like adding different props and changing the context. But what I love about OMG, yes, it helps people to bring variety when it comes to different kinds of touch, different way of kind of like helping your partner experiencing orgasm. So it teaches you different techniques, which I think is very fascinating. If you are interested, OMGS offered our listeners a discount. You can check out their website at omgs.com slash 
Sexology. That's ongs.com slash sexology. Plus certified nurses, clinicians, and therapists get free personal access so you can see whether you want to recommend it to your clients or not. You can find an email on how to request a free access in the show notes. Without further ado, here is our interview with A.B. Kelleher. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am honored and excited to have A.B. Kelleher on our show. A.B., welcome to our show. Did I say the last name correctly? That is perfect. Thank you. And I'm excited to be here. I am very curious to learn more about your process as a erotic writer, because one of the things that I know we communicated about in, in our emails that it's sometimes it's really tough for people to access their erotic imagination. And I loved your book and the diversity of the scenes that you had. So I think this can be a great resource for many people that they want to kind of learn how they can augment that that part of their imagination. But again, your book, Little Green Pills, is fascinating. So tell us more about that. How did you get interested in writing that book? Well, you know, I had been interested in sex differences between men and women, which we all kind of we take for granted, but we don't really think about why do we behave differently in all aspects of life, in the bedroom, but other things. And so that was always floating around in the back of my head. But then about 15 years ago, there's a, there's an NPR program, This American Life, and they did a whole episode called Testosterone. And it talks everything about testosterone. It's really fascinating. I urge people to go and check that out because it's kind of mind-blowing. And they had two segments. The first one is a gentleman whose body completely stopped making testosterone. And the way it affected him was radical. Basically, he had no desire to do anything anymore. And when I say anything, he said, literally, I was okay with sitting on my bed and staring at the wall for three hours. Like he had no desire to do anything. And then the flip side of that was a person who was a trans woman, so a female to male trans man. And they reported the experience of, particularly on their libido, of radical increase in the amount of testosterone. And again, it was... It was the flip side transformation. They wanted to, their libido just changed completely. They stopped telling themselves, for instance, stories about, oh, I see an attractive person. Maybe I'd like to be with that. So suddenly under the influence of tiny amounts of this hormone, which, you know, we all have, men and women both have testosterone just in different amounts, but when they had much larger amounts than she had been used to, suddenly her libido was flooded with graphic images, which she was not prepared for. <laughs> and so it just, it was like, wow, if this, if tiny amounts is this little hormone can have such an effect, this is, this is like interesting. It's worth writing about. So of course I started digging into it. And the more you dig into this hormone, the more fascinating is it. It's, it's like um, when you talk to Sarah Hill, about the effects of birth control several weeks ago. You know, she mentioned that one of the things birth control does is some of it, it mops up loose testosterone for women. And so that really hurts women's sex drive. And so it's one of the things that whether we're aware of it or not, our sex drive can be very tightly tied with how much testosterone is in our body, but it doesn't just stop there. It affects all areas of our behavior. 
uh, that's it, it's such a fascinating thing. So I once I got started, I really just couldn't keep digging. But of course, I, I wound up writing more about sex because sex is the juicy part that people are the most interested in. <laughs> that is true. And, you know, I, I was fascinated when you were reading about how you combine the science science fiction part of it and the sexuality piece. And to be honest, I'm not a big sci-fi fan. But now that like you I, like when you introduce the sex to it, <laughs> I was yes, very of course. engaged. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not an accident. You, you know, you add sex to anything, suddenly it becomes a more fascinating topic. But really... I mean, there there are, you know, several erotic scenes in there, but they're there and hopefully they're engaging and hopefully, you know, they get people revved up, but they're also written for a point. It's, it's kind of showing it's like, well, this is how sexual behavior changes under less or more amounts of testosterone. And that's kind of that's where it's science fiction and science fiction. The trope is the idea is you change one small thing and watch the ripple effects spread through society. So in this case, you know, you think it's a small thing, but in, in the research, one of the things I found, one of the most consistent complaints for women is a lot of people self-identify. This is not anyone saying that they have this. This is their own complaint. About 40% of women surveyed feel at some time that they have low libido. And one of the ways they have tried to treat this is with testosterone. In real life, unlike in my novel, it doesn't work so great because it got a lot of side effects. So... The novel imagines a version that doesn't have all the nasty side effects. But, you know, that's what that's what turns the effects loose and makes everything crazy in the novel. But it's it's a real problem. And, you know, that's why it is science fiction, but it's not because there's a lot of science in the book. And only only the pill itself, the way it works is fictionalized. But this is a real problem that a lot of women struggle with low libido. And they've tried to treat it the way I kind of talk about in the book with testosterone. It's just it doesn't always work and they have side effects. But it's addressing something that's that's a real issue that people struggle with and a lot of times their whole life, as you would probably know as a sex therapist more than just about anyone. Yeah. And I love that how you kind of like incorporate the element of how in the story that the the main characters that they, they found a way to work through the kind of like details of them taking the testosterone, getting to testosterone, but not dealing with the kind of the side effects. I think the, the novel is very, very engaging and interesting and it's an easy read. So I definitely recommend our listeners to check it out. But I think what's one thing that's very interesting to me, and we were just talking about that you're not necessarily an erotic author. So your background is in science, technology. So tell us that as, as someone who's who's not necessarily an erotica, author of erotica, how did you, how were you able to tap into that part of yourself? Well, you know, I cheated in a way. I mean, I... <laughs> I, I should say I did what good writers do. I didn't do it all by myself. So first off, you know, when I started listening to that story I told you about a long time ago for This American Life, I started talking to my female friends about it. And they said, and I started researching testosterone and they said, yeah, I've had this problem sometimes with low libido. And, you know, when I, when I pitched them the book idea, they said, yeah, you know, if a pill like this existed, I would try it. I would definitely try it. Now, of course, you know, I, I didn't explain to them all the chaos it would cause in the book because, you know, that would spoil it. But um, you get into that. So one, you know, I asked my female friends because 
you'd be crazy to be a guy writing about female sexuality, not getting a bunch of female input. But I also went to, to the professionals. So I went and talked to Dr. Diana Fleischman. She's an she's a evolutionary psychologist. And Jeffrey Miller, also evolutionary psychologist. And in fact, they're now married. They weren't when I interviewed them. Dr. David Lay, he is a clinical psychologist, but he's also a sex researcher on a bunch of areas of porn and kink. And so they all had insights to, oh, well, this is how it probably affects society. or This is how it affects sexuality. This is how women might react differently if suddenly, you know, they had this much hormone running loose in their body. And so they came up with things that frankly never would have occurred to me. So, you know, I, I, re I write a nonfiction afterward that explains all of that, but I, I never could have come up with all of this on my own. So I did the writing, but you know, there's at least five to 10 people who'd made major contributions into the ideas behind it. Well, I appreciate it that and I appreciate I would imagine like less more of the uh, readers would appreciate that, that it doesn't seem like you know, sometimes people write about subcategory of population without kind of like knowing their experiences, assuming. So it seems like for you, you, you talk to women, you talk to the psychologists, that that's their specialty when it comes to kind of like projecting how, how these kind of different changes might impact the kind of like this interaction of both genders and all genders. But I think uh, there is also a part of it, the kind of diversity of the scene that it tells me that you yourself have this strength when it comes to imagination. Is that something that you I guess? Do you agree with that? Is that fair? Well, you know, I will, without getting into detail, say I did a little in-person research to some areas of the book. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I won't say I didn't also, you know, I don't know how familiar your readers would be with a website for people into kind of a more fetish lifestyle called Fet Life. So yeah. I also ran some, you know, there are a couple BDSM scenes in there. So I ran that across them, uh, across people from there. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it got input from a variety of places. Some of it was personal input and or experience, although by no means all of it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's fascinating that like you, you check in with people. I, I, for people who are interested in to learn more about or if they are in the King community, I, I think FetLife is fantastic. But it seems like you also kind of did you put out the kind of like the scenes that you were thinking and you were asking feedback there. How were you doing that research? No, it was running it by people I were who were already friends and I was chatting with, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? You know, and that's one of the things it hadn't occurred to me. And maybe it, it should that I should go on there and talk about the book because why not? It just it hadn't occurred to me to, to go down that route. But, yeah, no, it was more, you know, finding people. And, you know, one of the nice things about FetLife is you can see what people are into because they just say, I'm into this and they'll put it on their profile. So, you know, if you want to know someone is like, is this accurate? Is this inaccurate? And, you know, and, and they can, they can give cautions and everything. And so that's a good thing is to be able to run against people. Well, I don't know if you'd say they're experts, but let's just say they've had experience. 
Well, that's interesting that again, it seems like for even particular different scenes, you were asking people for input. I don't know what they're thinking. And I would imagine were you kind of, were, were there lots of suggestions? And or I, and again, my, my fascination is that to be transparent is like, how can people augment their fantasies? Because it's, I'm trying to figure out, I think it's my experience that if you don't, you're not strong and kind of like having a strong imagination, you, that's a skill that you can cultivate. Maybe you cannot become a, kind of like an amazing writer. You're not going gonna to become Oscar Wilde, but you can work on that. So I'm trying to see, what do you think about that? Well, I would say the first thing is probably more for women. Guys tend to be less unashamed about this, but you know, that's, that's just a, a generality. So, you know, take it if it applies to you, if not, not, but you know, I mentioned BDSM and one of the interesting things that I found out during research is when you look at who is watching that kind of porn, it tends to be more women than men. And, you know, today in society, there's a, there's a notion about what, you know, you should do or what you should like if you're a modern woman or if you're a feminist woman or if you're a strong woman. And so you're not supposed to like, for instance, ideas of dominance and submission or other fantasies. And it's like, well, you know, it's not real life. It's a fantasy. So just keep that in mind. You know, you can unlock your fantasies and just remember, this is a fantasy. So don't get bogged down in the politics of what turns you on. Just pursue whatever turns you on safely. And that begins with giving yourself permission to admit, you know, what you're into. You know, it's very interesting. If you go to Pornhub, you can go to Pornhub and look at stats. And every year it'll give you the stats of who's looking at what. And you can find some of the same stats in, an, in another book that one of your other guests mentioned. It's called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. But they'll, they'll reveal the same thing, which is, you know, a lot more women are looking at fantasies of dominance and submission than men. It, it, at more than two to one rate, it's women who are interested in that. So, you know, some women think, oh, I shouldn't be into this because it's sinful or it's wrong or it's not feminist or it's whatever. And it's like, well, you know, if that's the headspace you need to get into as part of your fantasy to have a rich, richer sex life, then give yourself permission to go there. You know, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, make that part of your real life because, you know, sex life is sex life and, and, and you know, it has a, a fantasy component. So I would just say give yourself permission to explore your fantasies, you know, in a safe, sane, consensual way. And, and you know, safe, sane, and consensual are important words in their words that the BDSM community, that's their mantra. So I, I think the whole society should use those and just apply them to their sex life in general. But safe, sane, consensual, but don't be afraid to explore what turns you on. Maybe I think you brought up such an interesting point about people kind of being ashamed of what turns them on. And I think it's it's very interesting because I have another Farsi podcast that's weekly. And what I do mostly on that show is I answer people's questions about sex. And it's a kind of a weekly show. And I get a lot of questions. These are women even who are living in Iran in different parts of the world, asking exactly about what you said, that they feel extreme shame about that they have rape fantasies. They they like kind of getting like surrendering during sex, all of those things that you you were referring 
referring to. And as you said, these, these are very, very common fantasies. And I find myself every week repeating myself that like there's nothing wrong. These are rooted in, in your desire to establish psychological safety. And I think that, that that is important because if we're not giving ourselves, as you mentioned, permission to lean into our fantasies, then it would be hard to work on it and kind of augment it and, and kind of like connect with our eroticism. Yeah, that is, it exactly duplicates not only stuff that I've heard on sexology, but it, it aligns perfectly with Dr. David Lay's work. He has found in his research on porn that people are much more likely to refer to quote unquote porn addiction, not because they're using porn so much and masturbating, but because they've told themselves porn is wrong to use and therefore any use means it's an addiction. And in his research, he's found that almost exclusively, like, you know, far over 90%, the people who are complaining of porn addiction are people who have a strong religious legacy telling them it's wrong. So it's not that they're masturbating anymore or using it anymore. They're not really. They're telling themselves it's wrong, but they keep on doing it anyway. So they're not giving themselves that permission to do what, you know, part of their drives are like saying, do this, do this. And you know, another part of their mind, their religious upbringing is saying, this is evil, this is wrong, and you're wrong and evil for wanting it. So that's what they're struggling with. They haven't given themselves permission. I agree with what you just mentioned. And also, I think this kind of value discrepancy that people have sometimes in, even in the relationship, that this is something that they find themselves gravitating to, whether it's watching porn or immersing in fantasies and this background of telling them that these are dirty and shameful, that gets in the way of them experiencing desire. And I agree with you. I think it's it's complicated when it comes to women's sexual desire because I, I hear in theory that testosterone can go work well. I know it's for some of my clients, for my female client, that they noted that their gynecologist prescribed a low dose of testosterone. They've noticed some changes, I think. But also what gets in the way for many women is are these kind of like shame stories that gets that stops them from really tapping into their uh, erotic self. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no amount of you know, it, it's it's definitely true. And I, I did research in the book and there's there's no amount of hormone in a blood that's going to undo if you're giving yourself a bunch of negative sex uh, self-talk. If you're doing a bunch of negative self-talk, then, you know, that desire is going to be repressed or regarded as shameful. And of course, you know, that's one of the things explored in the book is that men, male and female sexuality, one of the reasons it works different is different levels of testosterone. So it's not that it's like flipping a switch with men. It's not quite like that straightforward, but it is a little less complex than women. Women have to be in the right physical space, physically aroused, but also mentally trusting and giving themselves permission. And if those aren't both aligned, then the chance of having good sex and orgasm, it gets pretty low. So, you know, you could have all the all the physical building blocks of desire in there. And if you're not mentally aligned, then you're going to have a problem as well. I, I love that you're emphasizing that because I feel sometimes people have this reductionistic view of uh, women's sexuality and kind of thinking about only if I can add this shot or if they can take this pill 
that can transform a woman's sexuality. But it's my experience that at times it's more kind of like multi-layered. So I think it's important to make sure that like you have a good overall health, like psychological health and physiological health in order to optimize your uh, sexual wellness for women, at least. Definitely true in in all the research. But I also found out as interesting in, in there is a growing realization that we don't pay attention enough to to the effect of hormones, both estrogen and testosterone on the female sex drive. So Sarah Hill talked about that some when she was talking about birth control pills. But, you know, a, a recent sex educators, they put out a statement, which, you know, it's something that never would have happened, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, International Society for Women's Sexual Health just came out with a statement saying, if you're a postmenopausal woman, you need testosterone for your sexual health. And, and so people are realizing that these things are a big piece. Again, you know, getting testosterone is not going to make all problems go away, but it's an important component. It's like, you know, if you think of it as a car, you don't want to drive your car on any flat tire. So if you have one flat tire, if, you, if, if, you know, you're mentally there and you're physically in great health, but you have a low part of the key testosterone or key estrogen, then maybe you're not going to have the kind of sex that you want, but you got to have it all. You got to have all four tires inflated. And so, you know, changing one thing, your testosterone, your estrogen, getting in the right headspace, getting the right diet, none of it's going to fix it. It's all going to be running together. Well, Abby, you're, you're right, because I feel I find myself at times at the camp that is very skeptical, or at least I used to be skeptical of medical intervention or kind of physiological intervention. And throughout working with clients, that changed. Because if, for example, with my male clients, some of them, they had low testosterone when they kind of checked their testosterone level and they were telling me, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take testosterone pills as prescribed by my doctor. And I was, there was a part of me always that kind of was thinking, but I'm more biased that this, like the the only way is psychological. And, I, and I'm just, of course, admitting it to you, but again, yeah. that, was, <laughs> that was a thought that I had. But as they were addressing the kind of like physiological part of things, things got better. So you're yeah. right that it's important to address both pieces and all of the pieces of this puzzle. Yeah, it's it's got to be a holistic approach to sexual health, to sexual fantasy. If, you know, you want to live a, a rich sex life, then you can't just address one thing. I mean, well, I mean, you can't just address one thing if you have just one problem, but sometimes it's multiple problems. So go to someone like Dr. Moali, and then it it doesn't hurt to visit an endocrinologist if, you know, you get a year of therapy and that's not fixing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for for promoting me that way, but you're right. And it needs to be a, a kind of interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary approach. So again, I really, really encourage people to check out the book. It's fascinating. It's an awesome read. And I know you were so generous and you're so generous that you're offering our listeners some free book as a way of giveaway. So tell us more about that. Yeah, we're going to do a book giveaway. So we'll be offering two hard copies of the explicit version of Little Green Pills and then 10 Kindle copies or Nook copies. I also have a, a version that will work on a Nook if you don't have a Kindle. So 
you can just send in an email to littlegreenpills at mail.com and we will get copies off to you. Excellent. So the information about that is going to be on the show notes. AB, for, for people that are interested to get the book, where, where can they buy it? You can also get it on Amazon. In fact, that's pretty much the only place that we put it out. You know, this was independently published. I was originally going to go the traditional publishing route, but one of the people I consulted with, the evolutionary psychologist, Jeffrey Miller, he was like, I I promise you, you will never get this published. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) because he had a lot of problems with his own book on a similar topic. So that's why he was telling me that. So we put it on Amazon and you can find it there just There's actually two versions. We've been discussing the explicit version, but there's a version, like if you want to use it as a primer to discuss topics around sex, but you don't want to have actual graphic sex, there's a a version without the sex. But we've been talking about the little green pills, explicit version. So you just type in a little green pills on Amazon. It'll bring you to whichever version that you feel is most appropriate for you. Fascinating. I was curious about what does it mean to have the explicit version. So you yeah. you must tell us so which one is the more uh, like selling better. Oh, definitely explicit version, and that's there's no question about that, and that's what I foresaw. But I also wanted to be able to talk about the topic with people who are of a more religious bent, who aren't comfortable with you know pretty graphic sexuality, you know, some graphic BDSM scenes and other scenes. So it's like, if you want to be able to discuss something, which I think is interesting, I I just think the way testosterone impacts individuals and and it it ripples out throughout society, if you want to be able to do that, I figured out it's not a whole lot more work if you're writing one book to change a few scenes, omit something here and there and have a couple different versions. So that's what I've done. But I fully expect if you're listening to a podcast called Sexology, you're going to want the one with the sex. Well, you reminded me of my childhood. I used to go, my mom is an author and I used to go through her books and only see, read the explicit parts. <laughs> so oh, almost opposite born, of what you were describing. A born sex therapist. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This was definitely a treat. Thank you for being so generous with giveaway. The information about the giveaway will be on the show notes. And thank you so much again for coming oh, on the show. This is a lot of fun. It was a delight you. being here. Great talking to you, Dr. Mohali. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. I always look for different ways that I can help my clients and my listeners to strengthen their sexual fantasies. And one of the really good way to tap into our eroticism is reading erotica. So if you are interested to explore reading erotica as a way to improve your sexual wellness, then this is your opportunity. You can enter for this giveaway and we will announce the winner on our newsletter that will that we will send out on the week of April 20th. Make sure you're subscribing to our newsletter. I have a weekly newsletter that I include articles and information related to the content of each week. So if you are not subscribed, you're missing out on lots of good information. Make sure you're subscribing using the link below. At the end, I wanted to thank our sponsor again, omgs.com. I was looking at 
several of their videos and they have such a good information. And one of the videos that I was checking out last week was talking about different ways that we can stimulate and touch clitoris. Most people know that 95% of women need some kind of clitoral stimulation for them to reach orgasm. And it's not a one size fits all. And in the videos, they were talking about different types of touch, which I thought was very, very useful because most people have their own way and they don't know what's out there. So if you are curious, make sure you're checking out their website. This week, we're doing a question and answer bonus episode. Make sure you are checking it out. We will release it on Thursday. All right. I'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Take care. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.